So I'm supposed to tell you how long I've been here. My name is Randy. Um, it's a two-part story. We've been here since April, but we were here in the early days when uh, we were meeting in the old Anglican building Sunday afternoons. It was smaller then. There were lots of babies. Our son often was the youth group on Wednesday evenings with Joel. So that's a bit of my story. Um, so I'm going to read Hebrews 2, 1 to 4 from the New International Version. So it starts, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The word of the Lord. Good morning, TCC. It's good to be uh, together. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Adam. I'm one of the pastoral staff here at TCC. And I just want to give a warm welcome to, um, to the Bennett family and clan. I know lots of you are here visiting this morning. It's good to have you guys with us. And what a beautiful testimony and what a blessing to our church to be able to, to enter into those experiences uh, together. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting with some friends, and uh, the topic of the Edmonton Oilers came up, and, uh, and I hadn't really been paying attention to the Oilers because the beginning of their season was, you know, it wasn't that great. Um, and so I'm chatting with my friends, and I'm hearing about this winning streak that they're on. I'm like, winning streak? Like, what? Like, yeah, it's been, you know, eight games, nine games, ten games. Um, and it was in those moments I realized that I am like the definition of a bandwagon fan. Like, I'm really not that invested because um, I was like, okay, this is interesting. I, I wanted to start catching up on all the things that were going on with the Oilers. So, you know, I start looking into this winning streak. I'm starting to Google Edmonton Oilers, and I'm like, what? They got a new coach? Like, when did they get a new coach, right? I, like, man. And then I found out that uh, Kaylor Yamamoto's been s- traded to some other team. I'm like, Yamamoto? Like, I love that guy, you know, and, and he's gone. Um, and I realized in these moments, man, I'm totally that bandwagon fan. And it's interesting how in that period of time, I became way less of an, of an Oilers fan than becoming a better one, right? Because it was really, it was the playoffs last year that I was, I was paying attention. And, and, you know, I only really watch the Oilers or sports in general if I'm at my father-in-law's house or at my, my parents' house and they have the game on or whatever. Um, but in that time that goes between me watching the team and then maybe jumping back on the bandwagon, a lot has changed. And I'm a much worse fan when I get back on the bandwagon than I was when I left them last time. You know, and it's interesting, that type of a thing, when it comes to sports, it's probably not a big deal. But this type of drift in our lives happens in all sorts of different areas. I think about last week when Jenna was talking about New Year's resolutions. You know, we have this image of the type of person we want to be, so we resolve to different habits and patterns in our lives to become that type of person. But week three or four of the new year comes to pass and we start drifting away from those goals. And it's like, ah, you know, maybe one day I'll, I'll actually do that thing that I should do. We think about it maybe in, um, in our own athletics in life where maybe when we were much younger we could play a great game of basketball. But um, many years pass and you go to play that game and you take a free throw and you come down and you twist your ankle and bruise your ribs that may have happened to me last year. Um, I'm not maintaining that physical um, ability that I once had. I've drifted 
from being a subpar basketball player to being an even worse one. We think about various skills in our lives. We're sometimes picking something up like riding a bike, but other times when years go by, when we don't pay attention, we get worse at things. It's easy to drift. And it's easy to drift in our relationships. Friends that maybe we went to junior high or high school with who were the best of friends. Maybe they stood up with us in, in our wedding ceremonies and they were the best of friends. We never thought we would fall out of that close relationship. But one year turns to another and the phone calls and, or text messages get less and less frequent. And suddenly time has passed and you have drifted apart. And maybe this happens too in our relationship with God. Where we have these moments of faith, like Kalea's baptism this morning, this declaration of her love for Jesus. But years go by. And maybe your testimony is one of, yes, I remember those moments of faith, these moments of commitment, these moments of being ready to follow Jesus no matter the cost. But years and months and have passed and there's a little bit of drift that's happened. We've been in a series called Jesus is Greater, and we're using that title to journey through the book of Hebrews, because throughout Hebrews, the author is going to continually argue over and over again of how Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater, and he's going to keep coming back to that. And what we've been doing the last two weeks um, as we've started off this series, of course, is, is unpacking chapter one. And in chapter 1, he's making this argument that Jesus is greater than the angels. And as he builds through chapter 1, he's landing here on our text this morning, the beginning of chapter 2, where he's giving to his audience an exhortation or a plea. He's saying, based on this argument, based on all of these things that I've said, this is my invitation to you. This is my call to you. This is how you should live. In light of what I've said, this now is how you should live. And there's 11 exhortations or pleas within the book. And we're going to see this pattern again and again as we go through our series. But here is the first exhortation. Jesus' message is the greatest message. And we must resist drifting from it. Jesus' message is the greatest message. We must resist drifting from it. Now if you've been with us the last couple of weeks... um, or you're, maybe you're just checking out the series uh, this morning for the first time. Here's a quick recap from the, the last chapter. The previous teaching uh, has been all about how Jesus is greater than the angels. And for us reading that, it's a little bit confusing because we don't talk a ton about angels. Now last week, Jenna did a great job giving us some uh, theology around angels, how they fit into the, the biblical story. But something that we need to highlight from that is that these, these Hebrew, this Hebrew audience, these Jewish believers... They would have grown up understanding that angels were the ones who delivered the law to Moses. Which again is not something we often talk about. It's, it's a little confusing. It's based on a verse in, uh, in Deuteronomy, I believe chapter 33. Uh, and it's echoed in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7 and in Galatians chapter 3. We have both Stephen and Paul making reference to the law having come through angels. And it's this idea that when God gave the law to Moses, this host of angels were there with him. And so these Jewish believers had a very high understanding of angels. 
They saw the role of angels to be very significant. And the author of Hebrews is working off this assumption that everyone hearing his message understands and believes that angels were the ones who delivered uh, the Old Testament. And so here he's arguing to them, guys, Jesus' message is a greater message. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, we've been painting this picture of Jesus, the Son of God. The long-awaited Messiah who's come, the one who's worked redemption. God himself seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. And the author is saying, guys, this is the one who is speaking. This is the one who the message of the angels was anticipating. And he has come and he has spoken. His message is greater. Now, I wonder if the reason the author is making this argument is because his audience, this this church of Jewish believers, are actually really struggling in their faith. I wonder if he's making this argument because this, this early church is in this position where they're starting to feel like, man, it'd be a lot easier not to be a Christian right now. You know, it'd be a lot easier if I just, you know, the stuff with Jesus, it was really cool for a time, but we're getting persecuted. People I used to call friends are now enemies to me. I'm experiencing a lot of hate and culture is pushing against me and I'm in this really awkward season. If we were just, if we were just Jews, if we didn't believe in this Jesus guy, life would be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? Let's, let's go back to the message from the angels. Have you ever felt that way? This wondering in your own life, man, it'd be a whole lot easier if I wasn't a Christian. It'd be a whole lot easier to make friends and to fit into that group if I wasn't a Christian. It'd be so much easier to advance in my career if I wasn't a Christian. It'd be so much easier to just, you know, reach out and experience all these pleasures of life and just do that with freedom if I wasn't a Christian. I can't help but wonder if this early church is looking at the difficulties that have come because they're following Jesus and they're saying, man, if we just went back to that earlier message, life would be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? If we just went and followed that other way, life would be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? But friends, whatever previous way of life that we've lived by or whatever way of life we might consider participating in, The author is pleading with us, do not drift from the message of Jesus. You might feel tempted to drift. You might be tempted to to go back to this old message or this old way of life. You might be tempted to run to some sort of other message away from Jesus, to something that's more comfortable and more easy. But the author is pleading with them, do not drift from this message of Jesus. Do not drift. He says you need to resist this drift by listening to him. Resist the drift by listening to Jesus. So we need to ask this question, what is this message of Jesus? What is the message that we are meant to cling to? Well, in chapter, uh, sorry, in verse 3 of our text this morning, they call it this message of great salvation. The message of salvation. And I want to point to two elements of the message of salvation that we see in in the New Testament. And the first is one that we might commonly understand. The message of salvation is the good news. 
or the, or the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you ever hear that word gospel, it very simply means good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this was the message of Jesus. Jesus went town to town preaching and declaring the good news. In Mark chapter 1 verse 15, we have this declaration of Jesus. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe in the gospel. Now, what is this message? Well, Jesus is highlighting that there's a shift in time. The time has come, okay? Something new has happened. So this anticipation that people are waiting for this coming Savior. They're waiting for God to show up. Jesus is saying, guys, God has shown up. That's good news. God has shown up. The kingdom is now at hand. And he's inviting the people to respond to this reality of the presence of God in their midst, of the opportunity to live in and experience the kingdom of God and its benefits. That is the good news. And we see that for Jesus, it was more than just a message, but his very life became a declaration of this good news. You see, Jesus came and he gave himself as a sacrifice on our behalf to make it possible for us to enter into relationship with God. Jesus came and did more than just preach a great message, but he came and gave himself. You see, our relationship with God was broken. It's what we call sin. A life lived apart from God, apart from God's goodness, apart from God's desires for our lives. And when we live in our own ways and and just do the things that we want to do and just leave God out of all of it, it's, it's called sin. And that sin created a chasm between us and God. And that's a big problem because all the the things we're trying to experience, all the goodness that we're chasing, the the ultimate good, the, the ultimate good that we were made for can only be found in life with God. But we can't experience life with God when we're living in sin. So Jesus came and he bridged that chasm. And he gave himself as that sacrifice. And scripture is clear that as we trust in him, as we put our faith in him, as we look to Jesus, as we find ourselves to be in Christ, we are brought into union with God, the life that we were made for. I love in Romans chapter 5 this, this gospel message of God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ came and he died for us. He made a way for us to be brought back into relationship with God. So that's one part of this message of salvation, the reality of the work of Christ, the availability of his work to all people, that we just need to put our trust and our faith in Jesus to be reconciled to God. But more than this is Jesus's message of salvation, which is captured simply in the words of Jesus, that as Jesus went about his ministry, he taught the people. Jesus called people to come and be his disciples and his apprentices. And he taught them about morality. He taught them about life with God and with others. He he taught people how to live in anticipation of eternity and how to endure suffering. So we look at it throughout scripture, throughout the the gospels, things like the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus just lays out what does life in the kingdom look like. And he teaches and demonstrates to them the ways that they are to live, the way that it me what it means for them to be fully human. Jesus teaches that. 
So we have in this message of Jesus, both this, this gospel of Jesus, salvation and reconciliation to God, but we also have the words of Jesus, this invitation to experience the life that we were made for in a day-to-day reality as we live faithfully to the teachings of Jesus. So that's what we need to cling to. That's what we need to listen to. This passage, though, that we're looking at this morning also addresses the question of, well, why do we need to listen? Why do we need to listen? Now, in the context of chapter 1, the big reason we need to listen is that Jesus' message is the greater message, or the greatest message. There is no greater message. But the author gets into a few more details. The first is that we need to listen because if we neglect the message, we are going to drift away. If we neglect the message, we're going to drift away. So we read in the first verse here of chapter 2. Now friends, this metaphor is very powerful, isn't it? This metaphor of drift, you know, it's like you have this boat out on the water, and if you leave the boat in the water and you don't touch it, you don't anchor it, you don't, you don't, you don't tie it off to shore, the boat's going to drift. It's going to wander around all by itself. This metaphor speaks to the reality that there is inevitable movement in our lives. That if we are not intentionally anchoring ourselves in one place, we are inevitably moving towards another. It speaks to this reality that you and I as people are not capable of following nothing. But we will give our attention to something. We will follow something. Our attention and our efforts are going to go somewhere. And in this day and age, there's no end to the various things that we might drift towards. To this early church, he's he's speaking about drifting back to their past, back to an older understanding of God, a a different way of of connecting to God through the Jewish faith. He's saying, no, Jesus' message is greater. Today we might think of things that we might drift towards a pursuit of, of owning or possessing enough. That if we can just have enough money or enough possessions, then we will be happy. We might drift towards this idea of image, this idea that if if we can just perfect our image, that those looking at us see a certain type of person, then we will experience belonging in various contexts and we'll feel better about ourselves. We might drift towards a message of power, that if we can just eliminate all of the weaknesses in our lives, we'll feel better about ourselves. We might drift towards messages of comfort or pleasure That if we could just experience these types of things, then we'll feel better about ourselves. But friends, in each one of these areas that we might drift, and my list is in no way exhaustive, each one of these is an alternate message of salvation. In each one of these things is this belief that I can just experience this, that, or the other thing. If I can just possess this type of thing, or if I can just become this certain type of person, then I will feel okay. Then I will experience salvation. But ultimately, it's not true. And the problem is that when we start clinging to these other invitations, these other ways of life, We drift away from the message of Jesus and into something else. Patterns and rhythms end up setting in and we end up becoming less like Jesus, not more. And back to my opening illustration. 
I've become a way worse Oilers fan over the past year, not a better one. I've drifted. We experience all sorts of drift. The second reason that we see in this text is that by neglecting the message, we will experience consequences. Verse 2 to 3, we read, For since this message spoken through angels was binding, that's a legal term, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Now, we don't like talking about consequences, right? We don't like thinking about punishment, these types of things. It makes us feel uncomfortable. The book of Hebrews is going to be full of moments that make us feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. But here's the reality. The author's saying, man, if you start drifting away from the message of Jesus into other messages or other ways of life, there's a reality that you are going to experience consequences. And he's contrasting the two messages. The one is the Old Testament law, and the other is the message of Jesus. And he's saying both the Old Testament law and the message of Jesus speak to the reality of consequences. Throughout the Old Testament, we read about this, that as people reject the message and the invitation of God, they will experience consequences. Um, Within the the Jewish story, uh, the ultimate consequence was exile from the land. Leviticus chapter 26, we read, um, if they do not follow the things God's calling them to, he says, I will scatter you among the nations. I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. It's a consequence for disobedience. And this is one of many examples. Uh, In Deuteronomy, we read about the blessings and the cursings uh, that will come upon Israel for their faithfulness to Jesus. Uh, Sorry, their faithfulness to God and his law in Deuteronomy 28. Now, in the New Testament, we'd love to think that Jesus didn't talk about consequence. But you can't get very far in the Gospels without realizing that Jesus talked about consequence all of the time. That as we reject Jesus' invitation... As we reject the life that he's come to bring us, we experience consequences. We love verses like John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's the gospel. It's beautiful. But Jesus goes on. God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son consequence I think about in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus is coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount arguably the greatest one of the greatest documents we have when it comes to ethics and morality and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says therefore everyone who hears these words of mine These words of Jesus and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Then he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Friends, one of the reasons we need to resist the drift is that God loves us. He created us with with intent and design. He knows how we are to flourish. When we reject his way of life, we reject his intent. We We reject his design. 
and we experience consequence. It's like using a screwdriver as a hammer and then getting mad that the hammer break, that the screwdriver breaks as you're hitting it against something. The screwdriver was never meant to be a hammer. You can't bang it against a nail trying to sink the nail and expect it to, to last. <laughs> it wasn't built for that. And in the same way, God designed us. He knows how we're to get the most out of life without blowing it. And when we reject his way, we experience consequence. The third reason given in our text of why we need to listen to this message is because it's true. We listen because it's true. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is such an amazing declaration. The the pastors, he's like getting excited in front of them. He's like, guys, we we shouldn't reject this message because God gave us this message. God himself, our creator, he spoke to us. And then he confirmed the message through those who first heard it. That's the apostles. So Jesus comes, he delivers the message to the apostles. And then God, not only does he give us this message, but he testifies to it through our experience that happens among us by by various miracles, by gifts of the Spirit. The author here is saying, guys, you've experienced this message of salvation to be true. You've lived it out. Don't drift away from it. This message was delivered to you by God. By God, it's been confirmed. We need to listen because it's true. Not long ago, my uh, oldest daughter, she's gotten into like skits and stuff. And she told my wife that she wanted her stuffed animals to put on a skit. So she goes and she gathers all her stuffed animals and she sets them up on a coffee table. And then she goes and she gets her mom and she gets her sister and her brother and they sit on the couch and they're staring at the stuffed animals waiting for the skit to start. And my daughter turns to my wife, Jolene, and says, this is really boring. (laughs) And I just love it. Because, friends, so often in our lives we're setting up little stuffed animals, all these different ways of life, all these different ideologies, all these different perspectives on how we're supposed to live and get the most out of our lives. And we sit back and we want to be entertained. We want to experience something. But, friends, it's not true. They're offering us other types of abundance, but what if it's not true? What if all the messaging telling you how to get the most out of life without blowing it isn't true? And Jesus is standing over here saying, guys, I've given you a message. I've given you an invitation. I've come to give you life to the full. Will you come to me? Will you come to me? Friends, we can come to him because we know it's true. But here's this reality that even knowing the message and knowing why the message is important, even having experienced the goodness of the message, it is easy to drift. And maybe you can relate. And maybe this morning, even sitting, listening to this, you're thinking to yourself, man, yeah? 
that you're maybe in a season of your life where you're wanting or desiring comfort and there's just this temptation to sin that's just stronger than it's ever been. It's like, man, I just, I'm fine just drifting from Jesus for a little bit. I, I want to go experience that. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and it's been years, maybe decades, since you've felt any sort of passion in your life with God. And you've just grown content in it. Yeah, we go to church on Sundays. It's really, it's just for the kids. It's really good for the kids to go to Sunday school. And, but I don't know. God having an influence on my day-to-day life? Friends, it's easy for us to drift. How do we resist it? How do we resist this drift? How do we cling to this message of salvation that God delivered to us? Well, the answer is in our text. Do you notice the connection here between avoiding drift and listening to the message? We resist the drift as we give our attention to Jesus. We resist the drift as we give our attention to Jesus. I already spoke to this, that Jesus' ministry included so much teaching. And as Jesus taught, people flocked to hear him, to hear what he was saying. We need to have a similar response, seeking out the teaching of Jesus, seeking out his words, seeking out to hear from him his perspective on this, that, or the other thing. This is a reminder for us this morning of the importance of us reading our Bibles, to fix our attention on Jesus as he's revealed in his word, to set our eyes upon him as we read the Gospels as we see Jesus at work in these, in these different accounts in Scripture. Maybe this year you would hope to have a Bible reading plan and you feel like it's too late. It's not too late. It's never too late. And maybe it's just a small section of Scripture each day, but you take opportunity to sit before the Lord, to open the Word of God and to hear from Him what He might be saying to you, to invite the Holy Spirit to speak through the Word of God. You know, I loved Kalea's testimony, that part where she's talking about feeling discouraged in her faith and having this moment in her room where she grabs this dusty Bible off the shelf and opens it up. And what happens? She hears God speak. Her attention is turned towards the Lord and her faith is revived. Her spirit is encouraged. God meets her in that moment. And friends, those moments are not meant to be one-offs. Those are daily encounters available to us by the power of the Holy Spirit as he speaks and ministers to our hearts. So how are you giving your attention to Jesus day after day? Because this is not just an academic pursuit. You could have the whole Bible memorized and be so far from God, drifted to some sort of weird corner in your theology or whatever. But the invitation in Scripture is always that we would be people who are listening A verse that was recited uh, by the Jews multiple times a day has come to be known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They called this prayer the Shema, and they would pray that prayer multiple times a day. Do you know what the word Shema is? Just that first part of the verse. Hear, O Israel. And the idea behind the the Hebrew word Shema 
It's, it's this idea of hearing, but it's not just hearing words entering into your ears and processing what they mean, but it's, it's this implied piece of listening, doing what it says. I'm sure so many of us have been in a discussion with, with our spouse or our kids where we're telling them to do something or asking them to do something, they're just not doing it, and you're like, you're just not hearing me, right? <laughs> like, you're just not hearing me. And what we're saying to them, what we're not saying is you're not receiving the audio waves in your ears and processing it intellectually. It's, it's that you're not receiving what I'm saying and allowing it to influence what you're doing. And so this prayer, hear, O Israel, right? And I believe the pleas throughout Hebrews, this idea of listening in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God has spoken to us by his Son. The listening there is not just intellectual assent, but receiving the word, hearing it. We read about this in, in James, where we're that we are not just to be hearers of the word, but doers also. So friends, we resist the drift as we give our attention to Jesus. As we anchor our day in a word from God, in a devotional time, and we allow that to speak to us as we go throughout our day. I think secondly in this text, we see that we resist the drift as we live in the reality of what we believe with trust and obedience. What's the reality of the message? Well, the author of Hebrews confirms this message of Jesus by pointing out to lived experiences of God at work in their community, signs and wonders and healings. And I believe that this little church was dealing with the temptation to just forget that any of that ever happened and just get on with their lives in a different way. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't drift from it. Remember what God has done. And be faithful and live in the reality of what he has done. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for these little moments in our lives, but it's for the day-to-day reality. We need to hear and accept what Jesus says to be true, and we need to act on it. You know, I think about this in the, in the whole realm of caring for our bodies. We are a culture that is quick to accept messaging around dieting and, um, and, and sleep hygiene and exercise and all these things, and these are all really good things. But what we typically do is we, you know, we'll, we'll learn about a certain diet or a certain routine and we'll process, is this good, is this bad? And then we'll start trying it out. And once we've decided that maybe it's true, hopefully over time we'll experience the benefits. And what we're doing is saying, man, this research or this idea around this caring for my body is so good. And if it's true, I'm going to apply it. And if I'm going to apply it, I'm going to experience the goodness of it, right? Friends, how much more of Jesus' gospel message of salvation? It's true. Apply it to your life. Experience the benefits of it. It'll do way more for you than an, an exercise routine, but to receive it to be true. And then finally, we resist the drift as we live a life of testimony. As we live a life of testimony. I was really struck the, in kind of my early readings of this chapter at just the way that the pastor is saying, guys, God showed up in our midst. God did something in our context. You saw it happen. You received these gifts from the Holy Spirit. 
And he's calling them to remember. He's testifying to them the goodness and the work of God in their context. Friends, I think it is so important for us as a community to recognize how we can encourage and strengthen one another in our faith as we tell one another of the goodness of God at work in our individual lives. What is your testimony? You know, and sometimes we do the word testimony a disservice when we just, we just say that it's only that time in the baptismal tank when we talk about my life before God and my life after God and, and I received the gospel and it's great. And yes, that's part of your testimony. But as we walk with Jesus in our day-to-day lives, we should be growing in testimonies day after day. Testimonies of answered prayer. Testimonies of God's Spirit encouraging us. Testimonies of reading God's Word and experiencing it, completely interacting with something we're dealing with in a day-to-day basis. We should have testimonies of healing. Testimonies of miracles. And as we experience God at work in our lives, we share it with one another. And we collectively as a community resist the drift as we experience together God's work in our context. So if we're not experiencing these things, why not? Why not? Have you given up expecting God to move or work in your life? Have you given up praying because you don't really feel like it makes a difference? I want to encourage you, even this week, what is something you can pray for that you can expect God to do and work in your life and trust that he will answer? And then when you experience that answer, who can you share it with? And then for those of you who are a little further along in your journey of faith, Can I just say, we we need you as a younger generation, we need you to testify to our generation. Those of you who are a little further along, we need you to testify to this younger generation. As we're trying to figure out how to parent well, as we're trying to figure out how to navigate our careers well, as we're trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus in our context, there are those of you who have gone before us. We need your testimony. So even in this church on a Sunday morning around brunch tables, how can we testify to the goodness and the movement of God in our lives? And as we testify to one another, may it encourage us. I love in Revelation chapter 12, it speaks to the triumph of believers. They triumphed over the accuser, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. There's such amazing power in our testimonies to speak to the reality of God at work in our lives and to encourage one another uh, with those testimonies. I just invite the worship team to come forward as we conclude the message. But friends, if we're not walking onward with Jesus, it is likely that we're sliding back. The author of Hebrews recognizes this and he calls us To hold on to this message of salvation. To give our attention and our lives to Jesus. He calls us to live in the reality of God's kingdom. And to experience the work of Jesus in our lives. And to declare that to one another. He's pleading with us to resist the drift. So I want to invite you this morning. In what ways have you drifted? 
In what ways have you maybe let your heart grow a little bit cold in your relationship with God? Can you respond this morning to this message of salvation afresh? To come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the ways that I've drifted. Can you come before him in repentance to say you're sorry for the ways that you've acted in the midst of drifting and come before him with a renewed commitment? Say, Jesus, I believe your message is the greatest message. I want to live in the reality and the outworking of your kingdom. Can you come before him this morning and maybe in prayer fondly remember with the Lord those moments in your faith story where you just had these great times of prayer, these great moments with Jesus? And can you just tell him, Jesus, I miss that. I miss those prayer times. I miss the way I experienced you at that retreat or that conference. I want to taste it again. I just want to invite you all to, to close your eyes. We'll just posture ourselves in prayer before the Lord. Jesus, I just ask your Holy Spirit even now, just bring to mind in each of our hearts fond memories of our faith. Maybe it's our moment of baptism. Maybe it's at a conference or a retreat when we were younger. Maybe it was a moment where we just in fervent prayer said, Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you no matter the cost. God, bring these things to mind. And Lord, as we remember them, help us now, God, just to come before you in repentance for the ways that we've drifted from a heart that loves you or a heart of passion for you or a desire to see your kingdom expanded in our lives and in the world around us. Jesus, forgive us for the ways that we've drifted. And I just encourage you just in the quiet, just a prayer of commitment. Maybe it's just saying, Jesus, I don't want to drift. I don't want to drift. Light that fire in my heart again, Lord Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We just invite your spirit to do that work in our hearts. We need you, Lord Jesus. Amen.